0: Like you have already heard on the first episode, I'm Portuguese. Yes, from Portugal, that's right. I live in a small island in the North Atlantic Ocean, more exactly 900 kilometers from the Portuguese capital, Lisbon, 600 kilometers from Morocco, and 400 kilometers north of the Can- Canarian Island, a Spanish island. We call it Madeira. Well, everybody calls it Madeira, not just me. Have you ever visited? Who has visited saw the island it can be very small in length and wide but it's the opposite when the subject is height the island is known by the rugged terrain with waterfalls levadas. it's what we call irrigation irrigation channels which spreads through the island steep valleys and two peaks with almost two thousand meters high very gorgeous for somebody who comes to visit the island, but hell, for someone who was born in the beginning of 19th and 20th century. No no wonder our anthem, yes, we do have an anthem, begins like this. From the valley to the mountain and from the sea to the hills. Your humble, stoic and brave people. And our hero from today episode is humble, stoic and brave. He is a guy who was born in 1945, in north side of the island, in a place called Ponta Delgada. A man who was born into extreme poverty, who had everything to go wrong with his life. His name is not Superman or Clark Kent, but a Portuguese name, Antonio Ferreira. As it is written at the beginning of his book, Antonio Justino never surrendered to the faith of what he encountered in life and soon began to chart his destiny. Still very young, upon discovering that he did not have his luck, he picked up a, a knife and traced his destiny in the palm of his hand. Life was never his ally; quite the contrary. Many of us could handle a third what Antonio handled and overcome, a true David. He showed us time and time again that it isn't the desire of difficulties that we find glory of victory, even though the victory is not always the thing we think it is. This is the David and Goliath podcast and I will tell you real stories from normal people who had great mighty wars and defeated their giants. I don't know where to start. So I start the day when a friend of mine borrowed me a book who narrows Antonio's life. This guy is a true hero, that's what I was thinking as, as, as I continued to read the book. I don't have the skill to read fast, so I read the book in 3 days. It has only 170 pages, it's not that big, but for me 3 days is quite fast. You know, I love this kind of stories. And this one blow me away. I must spread this story to the world. First thing first. We, me and my friend George, went to his son's restaurant in Kenisu to eat this the famous grilled tuna and to buy the book for me. I need to note things down in the book. All my books are with notes or highlights, sentences or paragraphs that's meaningful for me. Well, The life of this guy, who has enough age to be my father, started in in 1945, 26th of September, 1945. He is the oldest son of Francisco Ferreira, his father, and Maria Salomé, his mother, and he is the oldest of four sons. They were so poor that they did not live in a house. Yes, they lived in a house, but it's not the house that you are thinking of. The family lived on the first floor. On the ground floor lived the cow, who gave them the milk. Well, everything they ate came from the land: potatoes, beans, pumpkins, and so on. The kitchen, if you can call that a kitchen, was an exterior wall of the of the of the house, covered with a zinc sheet. And on this zinc sheet, his father made holes from the smoke to go outside yes her mother cooked their food in an iron pan using wood to heat the pan all the four sons slept in the mattress made by corn cob straw which sometimes had corn seeds who left their backs with bruises the house was so small so small and all the place was taken up and for that reason their parents had to step over them to get to the bed The toilet, as if I can call toilet, was a hole on the ground, outside of the house, nearby banana trees. The condition was so miserable, and for us to understand more or less the conditions, I would like to read to you a paragraph from the book, when his father awoke during the night because some fluid started dropping into their bed. I like to imagine it was straight to his face, don't ask me why. Another thing... The roof was made by a straw, not by tails like we have in today's houses. The rat would wander over us during the night, and one night, while our parents were asleep, a liquid started dripping onto the, their bed. It was a rat urinating in the middle of the cover. Our father noticed and fetched a long needle about a meter in length and use it to pierce the straw underneath in the direction from where the liquid was coming out. The rat immediately starts squealing. Can you imagine live just one for one for day in these conditions? Imagine imagine all of your childhood. Every year there's an sport event called Madeira Island Ultra Trail Mute, which is basically a trail event that crossed the island from the northwest to the southwest. The major event is 115 kilometers. The top runners made this race around 15 hours. But there are other races inside of the 115 kilometers Queen event. We have the 85 kilometers race, 60, 42 and 16. I could say for sure that Francisco, Antonio's father, would do the 60km event very at ease. And I told you why. Francisco Justino, his father, lived with with his family in Ponta Delgada, in the north side of the island, like I told you, but was doing military services in the capital, Funchal, which is in the south part of the island with no, no running shoe or other kind of running gear. Francisco went up to Estreito de Lobos, crossed the Turrinhas, mountains, and reached Encomiada. Then after, he went down until Chão dos Louros, then after to Rosário, reaching by, at the end, Ponta Delgada. Let me rephrase this, please. From Funchal to Tourinha is around 20 kilometers but climbing 1400 meters above sea level then after he crossed the mountains he went down another 1000 meters to reach to incomiada which is a valley he continues his descending now to san vicente which is another 6000 meters and after that he walked until reaching ponta delgada after another 5,000 meters more. One night walking through the mountains, 40 kilometers, around 10 hours or more through pathways filled with mud, heavy steep slope and remember, with no running gear. Two days later he would do the same path but now heading to Funchal. His mother worked at the house of some refugees who choose to live in Madeira. We were in 1941 at the Second World War. When Antonio had 5 years old, his father worked in a field. 50% that was cultivated in that field was for the owner and the other 50 were for his family. Life was a very tough thing at this time in Madeira. No, man, no wonder why so many people wanted to leave the island and start fresh in somewhere else somewhere else far away from the island. At age of six, he went to school. Yes, school. Uh, It's equivalent of having a Ferrari at this time. Back in 1952, when he arrived at home coming from school, his attention was in helping his parents on the task that was needed to be done. And for that reason, studying didn't have enough attention. So, he spent two years on the first grade, another two years on the second grade, one on the third and one on the fourth. Yes, he had time to play with his friends, especially with his childhood friend Silvestre. And I think also this gave him the courage to carry on with his investment later on his life. His life continues in this routine until 1959 when he starts working with his father you already have noticed that we have a very heavy steep slope terrain here in madeira not only that but with the presence of these mountain mountains every construction was and still is a very big hazard to life we have a lot of roads here that are cut into the mountain and to, to support the soil and rocks stone walls were erected on one side of the road to contain the mountain his first job was to help his father on making those walls his dad was in charge of assembling the stones and lifted up the wall and tony only had to turn the stones for him so he could break into them in two not only that was Antonio's job at lunchtime, he had to go to the house where was made the lunch and bring him all the lunches for all the guys who were in the construction site. Like he said on the book, normally it was noodles with beans or cornmeal mush. Well, that house was not around the corner. He had to walk three kilometers away downhill, pick up all the lunches, and on his back, and then straight up to meet the guys and his father. He had to submit because there weren't no one else to, this, to do this service and he was also the youngest one, even though he has to be very tough for a 14-year-old boy. On the weekends, him and his father went to his home, a six-hour walk through the mountains. He recalls that one time he asked the shoemaker at his local town for making him a leather boots. But those boots were stolen from the other guys who worked in the construction and had to return back barefoot. I will ask you again, can you imagine returning home barefoot in this kind of terrain? He said on his book, my mother started crying when he saw his feet. He and his father made two or more construction and then no more work. David was a shepherd. He was taking care of his father's flock. And like you know, sometimes lions and bears would attack the sheep. So he grabbed his sling and killed these big animals, removing from their mouths sheep that they would try to eat. I can say that he was an expert using his sling that nothing in this earth could arm or kill this flock. According to Malcolm Gladwell, the guy who wrote David and Goliath's book, a sling can be compared with an automatic weapon in our days. It's so deadly that the ancient armies had three kinds of army of warriors. The first one was the cavalry, the second one foot soldiers and the third one were projectile warriors. Slinging took an extraordinary amount of skill and practice. But in the experienced hands, the sling was a devastating weapon, wrote Malkel. With this expertise, if I can call like this, he could beat Goliath on the battleground. He was so confident with himself that the presence of threats made by the giant of the, of, to the Israeli army was meaningless to him. I like to think Antonio was a projected warrior. He didn't know at this time of his life, but he was. So at this time of his life, he had no job. So what he had done, waiting for a job coming from heaven? No. Nearby of his house was a guy called Koto, a man without their bo- with their both arms. He used to fish by throwing bombs into the sea. Yeah bombs, the one that, that explodes, yeah, that one. One day one of these bombs exploded on his hands, leaving him without both arms. Cotto was the only guy who had a license to extract inert arm materials from the beach. So Antonio went to him to ask for a job. He worked with him for a couple of months and noticed that his kind of business was a quite profitable. So he went to the capital, Funchal, and asked for the same license as Koto had. He started to earn quite good money, which was enough for him and to his whole family. It was so good that his father started to build a house. His father contracts a bricklayer for the construction of the house and Antonio were his helper. He learned all the things that was needed to build a house the guide didn't explain nothing to antonio antonio was learning only looking for all the details one day the bricklayer had to go out for another job in another client leaving behind his tools antonio as a true superhero grabbed those tools and continue the construction of their house when the bricklayer returned all the walls were made he would get hired from his friends and family to build houses. Not only at this time he was becoming an excellent expertise. Few, few years later, when he was in Angola, working in a fishing tuna boat, he started in the lowest rank on the boat and finishing at higher ranks a couple months later. He was winning, but wasn't what he was hoping for his life most because he started noticing on the guys that went abroad to venezuela and coming back with large cars and fencing clothes that's what he wanted he, ret- he went running to their father and asked them to loan money for him to go out of the island and start a new life reluctant his parents lent him money and he flew to south africa in 1964 The year that Antonio arrived at South Africa was governed by a dictatorial government and it was in war with the Revolutionary Army in Angola, Mozambique and Guinea. And for that reason all the young boys like him were recruited to fight the war on those countries. The only way to have success was going undercover, which he did. He got in South Africa secretly as an undercover agent. A lot of the adventures and the events our real hero went through and believe me, a lot of them. But I want to highlight two of them. So him and his brother Fernando start fishing lobster in Saldanha Bay in South Africa. The business were doing, going great, but he always was in trouble. Some day they could not went for fishing because of the weather condition. And he went to a bar with a friend to play snooker. I only can say, even though Antonio wasn't looking for trouble, trouble was always looking for him. I will read to you from the book, What Happened. Where the the snooker table was, there was an open door to the bar. We were playing when he saw a South African enter, whose name I later learned was Peter Van Amerva appearing already somewhat drunk. He went straight to a table where the two South Africans were sitting, drinking beer and out of the blue, he grabbed one side of the table and split the beer glasses on the floor. Then he went to the counter where another South African was holding a beer glass, took the glass, squeezed in his hand and broke it immediately starting to bleed. I was in the table room and upon seeing all that I said to my colleague "You better not come in here and mess around because things will be different here. My colleague was in the corner of the room all huddled up full of fear because he knew his story but I didn't as I had been in this place for a short time. At same point he looked towards to the billiard table and saw two Portuguese guys playing he placed his hands on either side of the door and said in africans that he was going to beat us all but accompanied by a swore a swear word a bad word yeah i was at the end of the table bent over with the cue in my hand to hit the ball he went towards me and from underneath slapped me it was so strong that I immediately started bleeding from my lip. I quickly turned the cue and hit him with all my strength, he used the thickness part of the cue in the stomach. With the blow that brute fell the brute fell to the ground between me and the pool table. After this, a friend who had come with, in with him picked it up and brought him to the bar. But the fight wasn't over. Peter van Merve was going for a hit back. The friend, when he brought him to the bar, dropped me in front of me. I was wearing a nylon sweater. He grabbed me, my sweater, pulled me through, pulled me to throw a punch, and finished me, finish me off. But I jumped backward, and as the sweater was nylon, it stretched, and it ended up in his hand. I jumped and landed with both feet on the chest of that brute, who fell to the ground. I lost my temper and I started kicking him. Eventually the shoes folded on his toes and I started hitting him with the heel of the shoe. He only defended himself with his hands to avoid getting hit in the face. It was to the point that he was all bruised and and stayed in bed for a few days at home. Everyone knew in town the guy who knocked the deadly Peter van der Merwe, the guy who was the Goliath of Saldanha Bay, and everyone was afraid of him. Antonio said on his book that Peter was a giant. He had a lot of strength but lacked skill. Remember the tallest guy are not the most agile guys in the world. The other story I want to tell you is about how Antonio was expelled from South Africa and how he managed to avoid military service and therefore avoiding going to war. As you may recall, he was an outlaw in South Africa. Due to the troubles he was getting into, he became marked by the police as someone who should be arrested and, rep- and sent to Portugal. So one day, Antonio was playing cards at home when the weather was bad and he couldn't go fishing. Suddenly, another guy from Madeira entered the room, so tired that he couldn't speak. After a while, he said that the police was looking for him, Antonio, and his brother, Fernando. As soon as he was fishing, finishing the sentence, appears a Volkswagen in front of the house with a license plate GG. Only these plates belonged to the government and their agents. As he was forewarned, he rushed out to the, to the door. The two policemen immediately understood who he was. They hide in a old building, but one of the policemen spotted him. He managed to reach him and punched punch him in the stomach with his gun. Antonio fell on the ground in pain. The policeman took out handcuffs from his pocket, first putting them on the hand, but strangling strangling to put them on the other arm. Antonio writes in his book I pulled with such great force that he spins and fell to the ground still holding the gun out of my mind because he had hit me I threw myself at him to take the gun but he managed to stand up and fire shot into the air he told me the first one was a warning shot but the second one was for you and that's what happened Instead of trying to escape, I went after him, attempting to disarm him. He turned in, kept shouting at me, the gun pointed, Stop! Stop! But as I didn't stop, he fired at me, at my leg left leg, about 20 centimeters below the knee. He chattered me my leg, and I fell with the leg bent, the bones sticking out the flesh. Meanwhile, the other policeman arrived and came up, behind me like someone afraid of a lion they put the other handcuff on me call on the radio for the local police to take me to the police station in the area so fast forwarding he was operated and installed a tool for him to maintain the leg strength without bending there was serious risk of having another leg shorter than other and this was his ticket for freedom in coming here after 3 months in the hospital, he went straight to, to court and he was convicted to leave South Africa and return to Portugal, in this case to Angola. Arriving to Angola, he went directly to an interrogation from the Portuguese police. After this, he was moved to the army for making the recruitment. When he knocked on, the, on his door with the leg brace, the soldiers started to laugh at him. He was looked by a doctor who sent him home for eight months so he went for looking for job at bengala in angola starting his work in a tuna fish shipping after eight months he returned to his recruitment at the army because of his breast leg he could not do any kind of exercise until two months later he's seen again by the same doctor who sent him back home everyone was convinced of my problem in the leg except this doctor after three months later the doctor tried to see the problem in this leg was a real one or not he wrote on his book sitting on the floor i loosened the straps around my hip and knee that were fastened to one of the special boots after doing that he told me to stand up and dragging my stretched leg I managed to get on my feet he came behind me but I knew what he wanted to do push my leg to see if actually bent or not and that's what happened but as soon as he touched me I gave him a shove and stumbled over his desk when he got up he slapped me and said you push a superior and medical captain I told him sir you hurt me and when someone feels hurt they don't know what they, are, what they are doing. He told me to grab that stuff and go out to the infirmary. I was about to put the brace back on but he wouldn't let me th- and said go without it. Of course the doctor had a plan and the other day the first thing in the morning he was in the, the operation table and of course everybody found out that he couldn't bend his le- his leg. Another man ready to go to war shout out one of the doctors you know how david defeated goliath he had no intention of having a single combat with the giant when he tells king saul that he kills lions and bears as a shepherd he does not only showing his courage but also making a point that he will fight him according to his rules being a sling warrior courage and sling for david For Antonio, remember what I said at the beginning of this episode. He picked up a knife and traced his destiny in the palm of his hand. And is what he did for running away from the war. He found out that the wife's daughter also was a doctor. And she had a consultation room in the capital, Luanda. He sneaked out from the hospital and went to her office. Waiting for her to see him. And he said this. I told the whole truth, that I had 24 years old, that I was resistant to military services, that they were going to send me to the worst war zone, that I had left my belongings in South Africa, and that I was about to get married there, that her parents were wealthy, that I had convinced everyone I was disabled except for your husband. And that I had everything to be happy but it all depended on her husband and more things that I invented on stop the lady told me to rest assured that he would talk to her husband about and at at this night and the outcome was the doctor in the morning while everyone was sleeping woke me up and said to go to his office the first question was if it's true that he, he went to her office, wife's office in Luanda, I said yes. He asked me to tell him everything, so I did. I told the story on my terms. I, told, I also told them that my happiness was in his hand, and it was a great help if he could send him out of the army. You would be thankful for that. What the doctor wanted was money. He said to Antonio that rich families in Portugal paid him a lot of money to save their children to go to war and after a while it was established that he would pay 20,000 escudos. How he could pay that amount of money? Well, asking a friend to borrow him the money. So, again, he was successful. The week after, he was presented an assembly where was a lot of high ranks of the army they read the medical report asked antonio to show the injured leg and the normal leg which he did and noticed that the one was more muscular than the other the day after they gave him a notice paper releasing from all the duties in the army free again wow what a story do you think that antonio ferreira would big success on his early part of life if he didn't have the challenge that he faced when he was a kid. The house where he lived on the earlier days with his family, giving a hand to his parents every time he arrived from school, working with his father on building the walls from the road, putting his and his father life at risk. The six hours road traveling coming back to his house on weekends, facing the challenge of finding job in place where everything seems so tough You could say it was in his genes. Yes, it could be. But if he didn't face this overwhelming experience at the early stages of his life, I don't believe he would always try to find his way at the end. Like David, he had the courage. But not only courage, he would become an expert on using his sling to beat the odds that always was against him. How he could be a sling expert facing those mighty tasks that life sent against him the mighty tasks of living in an island in the 50s and 60s of the 20th century in those conditions well i didn't want to live in those conditions or having my daughters to pass those challenges do you want that for your kids well i don't think so but remember this if it weren't for those most likely he would be killed in the war and i was not talking about him and his life right now if you think that was enough adventures for a lifetime please hear the next episode his life continued in angola as a tuna fisherman he faced the return to portugal after the civil war began and having a new beginning in home island madeira Isn't enough, Goliath? Don't forget what Malcolm Gladwell wrote on his book. The act of facing overwhelming odds produces greatness and beauty. And Antonio's life is all about greatness and beauty.